Coming up, we are talking college football, reacting to the first college football ranking and previewing what the rest of the season in the college football landscape might look like. And then we are getting to some NBA. We are talking NBA in-season tournament. So if you haven't heard or you frankly don't understand what the tournament is and how it is structured, and then getting to five way too early NBA observations of this first few weeks of the NBA season. So college football and NBA coming up right after this. All right, taping this part of the podcast uh, Sunday afternoon. We are right in the middle of NFL Sunday. We got some uh, NBA finally coming up on the podcast uh, in a little bit, but I did want to just spend a little bit of time here at the top talking college football, mainly because we finally got our first college football rankings earlier this week, and I just want to break them down briefly. It's been a, a it's been a minute since I've talked some college football. So I'm going to react to the ranking and preview what a, a potential college football playoff might look like. Let's start with the, the debate for the number one seed in the number one spot in the ranking. The committee, they gave it to Ohio State, and then they had Georgia 2 and Michigan 3. The AP has had Georgia number one from the beginning. Probably just, you know, benefit of the doubt Georgia's been the best team the last few years and even if they haven't looked dominant George has held that number one spot these first 10 weeks but the committee they gave it to Ohio State and I would assume it's because they probably have the best resume and you know college football committee they love their resume talk so even though Ohio State hasn't looked great they did beat Notre Dame on the road Although barely, we we talked about it a couple months ago when it happened. And then they beat Penn State uh, a couple weeks ago. Again, not a big resounding convincing win, but they did beat both those teams and have stayed uh, unscathed against everybody else. But to me, putting Ohio State at number one, I think that shows really how wide open this all is. Because I don't think there's one team that has really showed they're the best team, at least up until this point. Now, we have a lot more time to to differentiate and find the one eventual champion. But there hasn't been one team that is far and away the best team. Now, you could argue that that's maybe Georgia or Michigan. And specifically Michigan, they've looked the best. You know, their their closest game was... I guess you could say maybe this week. But they went up 17-0. They ended up winning 41-13 to against Purdue. So they've dominated every week. The problem is they haven't played anybody. And so you could argue that Michigan has looked the best, so they could be number one. But again, the committee loves their resume, so Ohio State gets the nod there. Michigan does play Penn State this coming week, and then Ohio State the last week of the year. So we will get our answers, but uh, it's a little interesting to have Ohio State 1 and then Georgia 2 and Michigan 3. But those, those two wins matter, and Ohio State got those done, so credit to them. Florida State uh, is the, the fourth-ranked team. 
Uh, they are four in the AP as well. So the committee staying true there. And I think it's deserving. They pulled away from uh, LSU uh, in their first game of the year back uh, early September. And that really set the stage for Florida State, who it's been a second since they've been a national title contender, probably all the way back to, to James Winston, you know, 10 or so years ago. But they survived Clemson. That was definitely their big test so far. They came back against a pretty good Duke team again a couple weeks ago. So they've done everything they should have, and I think they're definitely deserving of the four spot. The interesting thing will be what will what will that look like, you know, come the end of November and into December, but we will talk about that in a second. And then the two Pac-12 teams who we have talked plenty about, uh, the Huskies come in at number five, and then Oregon is sitting at number six. And I'll be honest, even as a Husky fan, Oregon has certainly looked better the last three weeks. You know, the last time we talked college football, Huskies played probably the game of the year against Oregon, coming out by a field goal in that game. And then ever since then, they've struggled against Arizona State and Stanford and then pulled out a game against USC this weekend. But Oregon has responded at least to that loss and has looked like probably the best team in the country. They beat Wazoo, who at least a few weeks ago was pretty good. They've lost five in a row now, so maybe they're not as good as we think. And then they dominated a pretty good Utah team. They ended up winning 35-6, to and that was supposed to be a really tough test. Utah, their offense doesn't, you know, maybe line up to some of the top, top offenses in the Pac-12, but they probably have the best defense. And yet Oregon put it on them, looked dominant there, and then blew out Cal uh, this weekend. So Oregon is playing like one of the best teams in the country. The only problem is the best team they've played, they lost to. So as good as you think they might be, the Huskies, they beat them, so they are going to stay ahead of them as long as they stay undefeated. But they, we will most likely get a rematch. As of right now, Oregon and Washington, two top teams in the Pac-12. So it's tracking like we're going to get a rematch in the Pac-12 championship. And that will probably be for the playoff. But again, we will get to that in a second. Rounding out the top 10 in the rankings, uh, Texas comes in at number 7. Alabama 8, Oklahoma 9, and Ole Miss number 10. Texas has been without uh, their quarterback, Quinn Ewers, last couple games. And they've survived so far without him. They squeaked out against Kansas State in overtime this weekend. Sounds like he is coming back sooner rather than later. But if not, maybe it's Arch Manning time. The freshman, who of course uh, is of the same bloodlines as Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Archie Manning, all of those, that whole Manning family. And so the thought was he wasn't going to play, but could they turn to him? And we'll see. Sounds like Quinn Ewers might be coming back pretty soon anyways. And then a couple SEC teams and one future SEC team uh, at 8, 9, and 10. Alabama had the big victory against LSU this week. LSU has now dropped three games. So they're probably uh, taking off the, uh, the college football playoff possibility. Ole Miss 
They uh, won again this week, going to 8-1, and one, setting up a pretty interesting matchup against Georgia next week. And then Oklahoma, who will be joining the SEC uh, next year. They had their, their last meeting with Oklahoma State. And unfortunately for them, uh, dropped their second game in a row. Uh, so that drops to 7-2. and two. Again, probably removes them from the playoff consideration. And really, we're starting to whittle down teams who I think could make the playoff. And this isn't necessarily who I think should make it, or my prediction of who will make it. But it's interesting to think of what teams have any sort of possibility of making it. In a, uh, let's say, reasonable scenario. Now, if all the top teams lose, things could go chaotic and all of that. But what teams have a legitimate shot of actually making the playoff? So if you go conference by conference, the SEC, certainly led by Georgia, if Georgia beats Ole Miss, they take care of whoever in the SEC championship game, they're going to be in. And even if they lose one game, they're probably still in. But then the question is Alabama. And if you are a college football fan tired of Alabama, you might want to start rooting for them to lose again. Because if you remember just a couple months ago, they lose to Texas in a really kind of surprising Alabama way. They struggle mightily against South Florida, only winning 17-3. to But ever since then, they've at least just been slowly winning games, and slowly getting better. And so they've probably made it through the hardest part of their schedule. So if they can win their next three games, we're going to look at an Alabama-Georgia title game. Now, if Alabama loses that, two-loss Alabama, probably going to be difficult to make it in. But if they beat Georgia, and if that's Georgia's only loss, we might be looking at a possibility where they both make it in. But that will be certainly contingent on other conferences faltering. So if we look at probably the next best conference, the Big Ten, Ohio State and Michigan, they're in the playoff as of right now. They will, of course, play each other along with Penn State. And one of those teams is making it in. Whether it's Ohio State or Michigan running the table and whoever wins between them. Or maybe Penn State gets lucky and tries to squeak in uh, over those two teams. Now, the most likely scenario is what I mentioned. Michigan or Ohio State, whoever wins that game, will pretty much be in the, the playoff. The Big Ten is still set up with divisions, so the best three teams in the conference play for the same division, which means the title game probably going to be against Iowa, who, as good as their defense is, their offense is not good. So that title game is going to be kind of a non-factor, at least for the playoff. Again, we'll give a chance for Iowa or whoever else makes it in. And then the other three conferences, the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12, probably only have chance for one. Uh, and that's probably certainly the case for the ACC. It's going to be Florida State or bust. If they win out, they have a good shot. The Big 12 probably now rests on Texas. We'll see when Quinn Ewers comes back. But with Oklahoma losing a couple in a row, it's probably going to be Texas or nobody out of the Big 12. 
And if I'm betting as of right now, if I had to pick a conference not to make it, it's probably the Big 12 at this point. Because the Pac-12, again, is probably pretty simple. It's going to be either Washington or Oregon. I think with Utah's performance against Oregon, they'd have to do a lot to try and make it back in. So if Washington runs the table, of course the Huskies will be in. If the Ducks run the table and they face the Huskies uh, in the Pac-12 championship in game and win that, they're probably in. But the problem's going to be, or the thing that's most interesting, is you'll notice that I said for more than four teams that they take care of business like they're supposed to, they're probably going to make it in. But we're still only at four teams in the playoffs, so teams are going to be left out. So that's where it's going to get interesting as we go through the the last month of the season. So to recap, Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan, probably the only chance. I will give Penn State a very small chance at making the playoff. You have Georgia and Alabama in the SEC. You could throw in Ole Miss if you want to throw in a long shot. ACC has Florida State. Anybody else would probably be a really big long shot. Big 12 has Texas. Again, anybody else, probably a long shot. And then uh, Washington and Oregon in the Pac-12. If I had to guess right now, I would probably say Georgia's going to get in. They would have to lose multiple games probably to not get in. So you can pencil in Georgia. You can pencil in whoever wins Ohio State and Michigan. So those are two teams probably guaranteed to make it. And then I'm going to say Florida State at this point. I think if they run the table, you have to get them in. And then I'm not going to jinx it because I'm a Husky fan. So I'm going to say either Washington or Oregon. I'm not going to pick one because I don't want to jinx them. But I do think one team comes out of the Pac-12. You know, if that is Oregon, if that is a one-loss Oregon, then the debate can start of a one-loss Oregon versus a one-loss Ohio State or Michigan. But we will have plenty of time to talk about that in the coming weeks. But I do want to get to uh, some NBA before we get too far in college football. So uh, a few early season uh, NBA observations and some in-season tournament talk in the NBA coming up after the break. I want to get to some NBA. It's been uh, a couple weeks. haven't touched on too much NBA uh, with all the, the World Series stuff going on. Of course, NFL keeping up uh, a lot of my time. But I have been watching a decent amount of NBA. And I want to get to uh, a few points that I just have kind of noticed, a few early season observations. But I want to start with the, the in-season tournament, because that kicked off this past Friday. It's the inaugural in-season tournament, the first time the NBA has di- done any sort of thing like this. And I think for a lot of people, it's confusing. And I will just say right off the bat, I don't think we should necessarily judge this first year because it's going to be a learning curve for fans, for players, for the NBA itself. But I credit the NBA for trying to do something different, for trying to get at least some viewership, some care in this kind of early part of the NBA season. Because for most people, you don't really follow the NBA until at minimum Christmas. NBA has certainly taken Christmas Day uh, as their own. 
But in reality, it's really until football season ends. And once football season ends, you might check in more with the NBA. And so this was the NBA's solution to try and get some more early season viewership. But like I said, it's been a little confusing for some. I think we had, I think it was somebody on the Clippers, I want to say, was asked about their first in-season tournament game. And he was honest. He was like, I really don't know what's going on. He said he just saw a little championship trophy next to the game on the schedule. And the court was all different, but doesn't really know how it all works. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. So a a quick summary, just so you're aware of how everything's going to work. The in-season tournament is basically going to go on through the month of November. Some of the playoffs and I think the championship game is early December. But for the whole month of November, every game on Tuesday and every game on Fridays will be in-season tournament games. Every other game, any other day of the week, will just be a regular, regular season game. But Tuesdays and Fridays are in-season tournament games. How the structure breaks out is the NBA had some sort of system, which I won't get into, but they broke out every conference of 15 teams into three groups of five. And they did that somewhat fairly, you know, making sure not all the best teams got in one group. So that means there's six groups of five. And in each group, you're going to play every team once. So that means each team is going to get four in-season tournament games, in the, at least in the group stage. And then whoever has the best record in each group, let's say, will move on to the, to the single elimination playoff. So six uh, group stage winners. And then there's going to be two wild cards, one from each conference, that have the best records outside of the group winners. And I'm sure there's lots of tiebreakers and all of that since this is only four games long. But then those six group stage winners and two wild cards form a eight-team single elimination bracket, which will then, again, culminate in a, a championship, I believe, December 9th. A lot of the playoff, or whatever you want to call the in-season tournament playoff, is going to be early December. And the big thing is all of these games, besides the championship game, count towards regular season standings. So this isn't just a break from the regular season. These games count to the regular season too. They just have a little bit extra because it's an in-season tournament. So the big question has been, you know, the NBA is doing all of this, but what real difference does it make if they're still technically regular season games. Now, the players and coaches, they have incentives. The winner, you know, gets a a nice big cash prize and then some, you know, down to the semifinalists and runner-ups. But this first year is going to be a really big test to see what the fans really take away from this. Is this something that we get really into? Is this something that You know, we're like, oh, there's an in-season tournament game. I have to tune in and watch. Or do we treat it just like another regular season game? And again, it's early. We've only had one in-season tournament day so far, so I don't want to jump to conclusions. But it's something to watch, especially once we get into the single elimination games. 
because of the group stage games. I admit, you know, I'm not going to probably tune in because it's an in-season tournament game. But if we get to, you know, maybe a, a Nuggets Suns single elimination semifinal, you know, then I might tune in. But that will be uh, in about a month, uh, early December. The only two things I'll say uh, before we get to some just regular NBA stuff. I guess my two complaints or my two concerns is, one, why are these spread out over Tuesdays and Fridays? Now, there might be a very valid reason that the NBA is doing this, and it might be one that has already been shared that I've missed. But I'm wondering why we have to split it amongst regular season games. Because now you have to you know, socialize it so that fans know, like, hey, this is a regular season game, or no, this is an in-season tournament game. And why couldn't they just set, hey, these two weeks, this is an in-season tournament. Every game is an in-season tournament game until we have a champion, and then we go back to regular season games. I guess the, the argument against that is you want it spread out longer so that fans might be interested in, in all games over this month. But it seems like it would be a lot less confusing if, say, the, the first two weeks in November or the first two weeks in December was just the in-season tournament. And they could all count towards regular season games but put them all together so we don't get that confusion. And then that relates to the other question I had, which is why is it so early in the season? NBA started uh, just about two weeks ago now. So we've had a couple weeks. Most teams have played you know, between five, six, seven games. But to me, that's still pretty early in the season that if you're a big NBA fan, or let's just say a... A decent NBA fan. That start of the season kind of push, that start of the season excitement, that's still kind of in effect. You know, you've only been able to watch your team, you know, five or six times. You're still getting kind of back in the groove of basketball and the NBA and all of that. It seems like they could have waited another month for the in-season tournament. And again, they might have very valid reasons of why they picked this time. But to me, I would have focused potentially doing a, a tournament in the month of December with you know Christmas, New Year's, all of that, having that be your championship time. Now, the, the obvious point against that is that NBA already has good ratings on Christmas. You know, they've taken that day. So why not try to you know, boost other times, boost other months? like the month of November, early December. And I get that. I get that the NBA wants to try to boost this time of the season that isn't, you know, usually very, very high in viewership. But I wonder if it would almost be better for them to double down on the times that they succeed, and that's Christmas, and try to make that even a bigger event. Like, imagine if, you know, all the Christmas games that we have which, you know, they usually try to have pretty good matchups. Imagine if instead of, you know, just a, a Nuggets-Lakers game or a, a Celtics-Bucks game or whatever the matchups are this year. Imagine if we had, you know, the first, first round of the single elimination where we had, you know, the Nuggets and the Suns and then the, the Celtics and the Heats 
And this wasn't just a, a random regular season game that happened to be on Christmas. What if this was a single elimination game on Christmas Day? So just a, a couple things, a couple questions I had on, on how they, they came up with all of this. But again, it's early. It's just the first year. I'm sure there will be tweaks. Uh, we'll see how this ends up, though, in year number one. I do want to get to what I'm calling five way too early uh, NBA observations. Again, most teams have played, you know, five, six, seven games. So I don't want to overreact. You know, the, the Lakers, they started off really slow last year. The Jazz, the Trailblazers, the Pelicans, they all started off really well and then, you know, came back down to earth. So it's early. I don't want to just assume that this is how it's going to be. We're going to see lots of change, but just five quick observations based on what I've seen so far. The first one is it seems like the Celtics and the Nuggets are really starting to distance themselves from the rest of the NBA. Now, I haven't done a ton of NBA stuff yet on this podcast, but before the season, I did say I had the Celtics and Nuggets meeting in the finals. And again, it's early, but after a couple weeks, those two teams look like, again, they're distancing themselves, look like they're in a tier of their own. The Celtics still haven't lost. They're 5-0 and you know, as of recording this. And they're bringing in some new pieces. You know, they brought in Kristaps Porzingis early on. Then they made the late trade for Drew Holiday. And if you put those two with uh, the Jays, Tatum and Brown, and then Derek White, that's about a, a lethal of a starting five as you can have. They have multiple ways to beat you. Whether that's, you know, Tatum, Brown, going off in transition, being able to attack on the wings. Whether that's pick and pop with Kristaps Porzingis whether that's Holiday and Derek White being probably the best defensive backcourt in the league, being able to take that in transition. They're far and away the, the highest team in offensive rating so far. And yet I mentioned Holiday and White, two of the best defenders in the league. Porzingis, at his height, he's always going to be a, at least a pretty good defender. And then Tatum and Brown at least are very capable defenders. You know Whether they bring it night to night is another thing. So to me, I don't think it's too early to say this is the best starting five in the league. And the only argument I could say against that would be the Denver Nuggets. And again, that's a big reason why I picked both teams uh, to meet in the the finals. The Nuggets are a little bit different than the Celtics. You know, they have the same starting five as last year. And they've really picked up where they've left off. With, you know, a lot of teams bringing in new pieces, trying to bring in different role players. The Nuggets knew they could rely on their starting five. They knew how it works. And it just so helps that they have the best player in Nikola Jokic. We'll see if he wins MVP this year. He didn't win it last year. So as much as that shouldn't be a factor, that will help his case. But he looks as good as ever. And they just fit so well together, whether it's the, the Murray-Jokic pick and roll, whether it's Aaron Gordon being like a perfect piece next to Jokic, then KCP, Michael Porter Jr. And then the concern was the bench, you know, no more Bruce Brown, a lot more Christian Brown, some other rookies, some other young players. And they've played well. Guys like Peyton Watson have looked good for them. But I don't know if it really matters. 
as long as that starting five is doing their job, they're going to be really hard to beat. So Celtics Nuggets distancing themselves in a tier above the rest. Uh, That's my first observation. Second observation, I really try not to to bring up Wimbanyama too early in my observations, but I have to bring him up for everything he's done. Could he lead the Spurs to a play-in game this year? Now, for context, Spurs, one of the worst teams in the league last year, worst defensive team in the league, and it's not just him. I think Devin Vassell, he's really promising. They still have Keldon Johnson. Jeremy Sohan, he's been playing a little point forward, you know, kind of a, a Ben Simmons type role. But what Wimbenyama has looked like so far, and again, it's early, I know. I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to lead this team to at least fight for a playing spot. He struggled a little bit, you know, in his first couple games. First game, if you watched any of it, Probably didn't see a lot of him because he was in foul trouble. But you can tell he's slowly getting better. And probably more importantly, you can see how his teammates are slowly getting to know him, slowly getting used to how he plays. And to think as good as he has looked, this is really going to be as bad as he's ever going to be. And to me, that's the most exciting part. As someone who's been on the, the Wimby bandwagon since a year or two ago, As raw as he looks at times, as much as you see plays where you're like, yeah, he could have done this, or ooh, imagine when he can do that. He's still averaging 20 points a game. And he's already probably one of the scariest defensive players in the league. And to me, what's interesting is is all the the impact he's going to have that you won't see in the box score. I think the, the king of that you know, at least the last decade or so has been Curry. I think if you watch Curry, especially on the offensive end, he can do so much for an offense, even if he never touches the ball, even if he has no impact on the box score. And you just have to see that by looking at the game and looking at the sets they run. And of course, there are others. Obviously, the big stars, they impact the game in lots of ways. But I think Wimbanyama is going to be up there in terms of impacting the game in ways you can't really see in the box score. Because if you watch them on the defensive end, guys aren't even trying to do anything. And if they are, they're usually getting blocked. They're usually missing shots. I think I saw in the game uh, earlier today, Wemby has the, the lowest field goal percentage against him uh, of any defender in the league already. So if he doesn't block it, if you don't miss it, it's usually going to be a bad decision by the offensive player. And so if he's that good on defense, once his offense comes, which, again, we saw it even in this first couple of weeks, he's starting to learn things. His teammates are starting to learn, hey, just throw it up to him and he can do things. And he's not afraid. He went up, scored 38 against the Suns team earlier this week. Yes, the Suns weren't fully healthy, but he has that, he has that gene in them that not everybody has and not all good players have. So I'm excited to see him. I will be watching lots of Spurs games this year. I will be talking plenty more about him, but that is my quick early realization because they are three and three and they're in the play in spot right now. So we'll see how things change. Third observation I wanted to make 
is sort of a combined one, but I really wanted to just highlight a few young players that I think might be taking the leap this year. Now, leaps in different ways, you know, whether that's leap to superstar, leaps to stars, all of that. The first one I want to bring up is Tyrese Halliburton of the Pacers. And I wonder if he might be jumping into that, you know, all NBA superstar level. He leads the league so far in assists, just like he did last year. And he leads this really fun Pacers team. The Pacers are, are one of the fastest pace. They're going to score a lot of points. They're also not going to guard a lot of people, but they're going to be fun to watch. And it's all led by Halliburton. Pacers didn't make the playoffs last year, but Halliburton also missed some games. And so when you look at their record of when he played, they were actually a pretty decent team. And he's the, the perfect star you want to build around. Because he looks like he's going to be a perennial tennis-a-game guy. But he's also developing his offensive game where you know, he scored 43 the other night. And is someone that can really lead you in crunch time. And so I'm excited to see him potentially turn into an all-NBA guy. Although it's hard to do at guards. But early on, I think he's got a shot. The next guy is Scotty Barnes who two years ago won Rookie of the Year, really promising. Last year, maybe fell off a little bit. Maybe a little sophomore slump. Maybe it was people overhyping him a little bit the first year. But early indications show a really different Scotty Barnes and someone who I'm really looking forward to seeing. When I see Scotty Barnes, I think of a, a, you know, a little Draymond Green type player. Uh, somebody that can do it all, a little bit undersized if you're playing him as like a forward, but he can handle the ball, he can defend any position, he can lead your offense. But this year we're getting really aggressive Scotty Barnes, and a Scotty Barnes that is capable of putting up points. He's averaging just about 23 points a game, which would be a big jump from uh, him scoring 15 both his uh, rookie year and sophomore year. But the big jump or the big difference this year is his three-point percentage. Never really been a three-point shooter. 30% his rookie year went down to 28% a year ago. Right now it's 42%. And he's shooting more. He's shooting about five threes a game. And without Fred Van Vliet, he's really turning into kind of the lead guy in Toronto. I know they still have Siakam, they still have Ananobi, but if this is the Scotty Barnes they're going to get, this is going to be a huge improvement. So we'll see if those numbers stick for him, see if he's able to keep it going. And then the last guy uh, is the local guy here in Seattle, or at least here in the Northwest. Uh, that would be Portland Shaden Sharp. Now we've talked a lot of Portland the last few weeks, the last few months. Of course, no Damian Lillard. He was traded, so they were going young. They brought in a few pieces, whether that was DeAndre Ayton, Rob Williams, Malcolm Brogdon. But the big offseason thing was drafting Scoot Henderson number three. And it looked like Scoot was going to be the next star. So you had Scoot, you had Anthony Simons, who kind of been under the wing of Dame. So between those two, it looked like they were going to be the reasons to watch Portland. But then you had Shaden Sharp, just kind of in the wings. A lot of potential from him. 
but you know he hasn't really put it together. But you kind of gave him a pass, you know, as a rookie last year, after not playing college at Kentucky, so he hadn't really played competitive basketball since high school. He comes in again, had his moments, looked the part, you know, really athletic, could do lots of things, but just it seemed a little bit raw. It seemed like he still had a ways to go, and so you thought with with Simon's there. With Scoot coming in, what would Sharp show? But then, of course, Simons, he goes out with a thumb injury. He's out for a while. And then Scoot, he struggled, which you know we won't get to. We'll give him some time. It's really been Sharp who has come in and shown that he looks like he's the alpha guy in Portland right now. He's up to 20 points a game. He's shooting the three ball a lot better. He's attacking downhill. And he just really looks a lot more comfortable. And I think that was his problem before. Again, not really playing a lot of basketball the last couple of years. So if he's comfortable, if he's making smart decisions, his skill and his athleticism can take him really far. So if I'm a Portland fan, you know, you're obviously sad not having Simons, a little concerned about Scoot early on, but Sharp, he's the guy that you're really excited about. So between him, Scotty Barnes, Tyrese Halliburton, and really a lot of other guys, Lots of fun young players to watch. A couple more observations uh, before I wrap up. Fourth one, I've always been a, a big Luka Doncic guy. I thought he has what it takes to really bring a team as far as he wants to go. But it's been a rough couple years uh, in Luka land. As good as he is, they didn't make the playoffs last year. And, you know, lots of teams make the NBA playoffs. So if you don't make the playoffs, that means you weren't a really good team, especially with the expanded play-in. So for his team not to make it, again, uh, not a good roster, not a good year for anybody. But a lot of that goes on Luka. And I'm sure he heard that all offseason long. He plays in the, in the FIBA World Championships for Slovenia. So he's playing basketball all summer. And whether it was that, whether it was the motivation to do better. It looks like we're finally getting early season good Luka Doncic. Because for the last few years, I don't know if he's out of shape or just doesn't care, but it usually takes him a bit. But now we're getting good Luka Doncic, and we're getting him early. So we've always said that he, he has the potential to win MVP. He has the potential to you know, be the best player on a championship team which there's not a lot of those guys out there. Is this the year this finally happens? Is this the year he wins MVP? Is this the year he brings a probably not great Dallas team far in the playoffs? That second one, I'm skeptical of. I don't know if he's that good to do that. But I do think this is a good chance he wins his first MVP. He's leading the league in points so far, 34 points a game. He's already had a couple really big moments. Some really timely and clutch threes down the stretch in their first couple games. And he's led them to a pretty early 4-1 record. Again, they, they have a pretty flawed roster. Not a ton of talent on it. But if this is the Luka they're going to get, they're going to go at least pretty far, in my opinion. We'll see if he's able to keep pace on that. And then the last observation I want to make is just do a little little fun look at some of the early season team rankings. 
it's always fun for me to look at some of the early season numbers, especially from a team perspective, because it's a small sample size. We're going to see some fun things. A lot of these things might not last. Some of them might, though. These might be good early indicators. Couple ones, a couple that stood out to me, though. The Wizards, who probably have a good shot at being the worst team in the league. They lead the league in pace this year, at least so far early on. And that really tracks if you watch any Wizards play. It's Jordan Poole. It's Kuzma. It's a few others, but mainly Jordan Poole. Really just having fun and, and, and just going 100%. And in some cases, 120%. In some cases, 80%. So it's going to be a, a tough year if you're rooting for the Wizards. But if you want to watch some just fun, nonsense basketball, I guess the Wizards are your team. If you look at defensive rating, probably not a surprise if you watch them play. Uh, but the Timberwolves, they lead the league uh, in defensive rating. And another team I'm really interested in, really excited for, Anthony Edwards, one of my favorite players. But that Gobert-Carl-Anthony Towns duo down low, we still have questions if it's going to work in the playoffs. But a regular season, they might be pretty good. They're the only team to beat the Nuggets. They have a really good defense. Shout out Jaden McDaniels, local guy here in Seattle. It's just, can Gobert and Towns, can Anthony Edwards, can they lead the team in the playoffs? That's going to be my big question. Speaking of defensive rating, uh, the Bucks, who I haven't touched on, Dame and Giannis, that duo, they're 3-2. and two. They've struggled. Uh, they're 25th in defensive rating. And that was a lot of people's concern was, yes, they got Dame. He's a great player. He's not a defensive player, though. And you lose Drew Holiday, who is a defensive player. And so as good as Giannis is, as good as, you know, maybe Brooke Lopez is on the defensive end, they really don't have any other defensive options. And so, so far, again, it's early. I've said that probably 20 times this podcast. 25th in defense is probably not going to get it done for the Bucs. Now, granted, they're only 12th in offense. So if they were going to make a 25th ranked defense work, they're going to have to be a top five offense, which they can be with Damon Giannis. But they're going to want that number to improve if they want a shot at a title. And then the last number that stood out, the only team that has not won a game as of taping this is the Memphis Grizzlies. No John Morant. He was suspended 25 games for everything that he did that we don't need to get into. They're 0-6. And they are dead last in offensive rating. They have some pieces, I guess. You know, Desmond Bain, he's a pretty good piece. Jaron Jackson Jr., Defensive Player of the Year, gives you some on offense. But if those are your top two guys, you have Marcus Smart, who, you know, at this point of his career, probably not an offensive weapon you'd want. It makes sense they're last in offensive rating. But I do wonder if if they can afford to let this go any longer. Because Jaw doesn't come back for another 19 games. This offense seems pretty, pretty lackluster. Their defense is all right. But if you don't have guys that can really score when you need them to, you're going to struggle in the NBA. Because it's so deep, 
so talented. And the Grizzlies probably can't afford to lose that many more games. You know, they can't be 5-20 and 20 without John Morant. Morant's good. He will help a lot. But they can't, far, they can't fall that far behind. So those were my five uh, NBA observations. Again, way too early. Lots of season to go. We will keep track of the uh, NBA in-season tournament specifically all throughout this month. And then follow all these storylines, all these observations that I went through and more. So plenty more NBA coverage uh, coming up in the coming weeks. That will do it for today's episode. We will be back on Wednesday, recapping everything that happened in the NFL in week nine, and then getting to some more NBA stuff as well. So make sure to check us out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and we will see you on Wednesday. 